Good to see you here this morning. Boy, we are missing a lot of folks. I was going to say that maybe all that nice weather chased some people out of town, but then the nasty stuff came in. And But it's good to have you here with us here this morning, making up for what others would have. Well, I tell you, it's days like this when you're missing so many, and you think of those scriptures that Paul says, whatever joint supplies. I'll tell you, I... Don't ever, don't ever discount your presence because you are part of whatever joint supplies. Amen. We're going to be over in the book of Judges here this morning. Our text for this series has been coming from Matthew chapter 12, particularly verse 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with with this wicked generation. We were looking at this scripture for the idea that how many times have we had somebody pray over us and a condition change? Something left, something became altered, somehow we were in a better place. And there were certain things that were done in our, in our bodies, and that change was partially sustained, but it didn't last. And after a while, it went away. So he's looking at this scripture, we see that when he's talking about here is that the spirit goes out of a man. How does the spirit go out of a person? Well, someone has to come over to that, that person and command that spirit to go, just as Jesus did in his ministry, the disciples did in their ministry, other people had done in, in ministries as well, because Jesus said, go out and, and uh, cast out demons. And they said, even, in, even using your name, demons, leave. They were amazed. Well, they don't just leave on their own, because apparently they like being in that house. So this particular demon went out, found no rest. And so then he came back to the house, and he found it clean, swept, put in order, but he also found it empty. So that's where the change, before it was filled, now it was empty. Found it swept and put in order. Apparently it was messy before. So all this has changed, but apparently enough change had gone on that he couldn't get back in. Because when he came to the house the first time, we don't hear that there was any problem with He just apparently went in. He went in by himself. Because that's the state of the man. This, this demon spirit was in him. But now when he comes back, it seems that he can't get in. So he goes and he finds seven others, and they make entry. And he says, Jesus says, the latter state of the man is worse than the first. And sometimes we have found this as well. A sickness or disease or a, or a particular painful condition we've been prayed for. Miracle happened and the pain went. There was restoration. Something had changed in our bodies. Something had changed in our spirits. And maybe a, a particular condition that was in our, in, our, in our minds weighing us down. That left and we got freedom from that. But it didn't seem like that lasted and that went away. So why does these things happen? What is it we have to do? So last week, we remember, we started with the kids. We had the kids in here for the service. And they were doing that. example, we gave each of them a, a picture of a Lego and asked them to build it. And then instead of giving them Lego pieces, we gave them Lincoln Log pieces. Well, you can't build Legos from Lincoln Logs. You need, you need Lego pieces, not Lincoln Logs. And sometimes what we get is we get an idea from God. God, I see this in your word. Here's the picture I see in your word. This is what I want in my life. But we're not giving God the right pieces. And he's not able to put together what we see because we're not giving him the right pieces. 
Now, you know, God can create anything out of whatever he wants to, but he's told us certain things that we need to have in our life. And when we go against those things that he has told us to do, we're not giving him the right pieces. We're not doing those, those things that we ought to do. We're going to take a look at a scripture uh, you're all familiar with. We haven't looked at this one. I always like to look it up and find out when it was like we last looked at this. It's about a year and a half ago we were last looking at this. In Judges chapter 6. Then the, Lord, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel was, was sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So apparently there's some things that they're not doing. They're not giving God the, the pieces that he needs and they're not seeing the results. The Midians are overrunning the land. Other nations are coming in. They're taking their crops. They're stampeding the land. There's not enough food now for them. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now we looked at it last week with Abraham. The Lord came to him and said some things to him. And there are times that God says, you're going to be this. And Abraham says, how can I be that when I'm this? I have no children. How can I be a father of many nations when I have no children? And it's real hard for him to hear, even though it's God saying it to him, real hard for him to hear it because of his condition. And so we looked at how God had to take Abraham and change his conversation so that he was talking about the things that God was saying. But the first thing he did it, that God did with Abraham was he said, look up at the sky at nighttime. How many stars are there? Can you count them? Look down at your feet. Look at the sand. Can you count the sand? And he's given him a visual. So every time he sees the sand, which would be in the daytime, every time he sees the stars at nighttime, he's looking at all these numbers, and he, that's going to be my descendants. That's going to be my descendants. And he's trying to get his vision to be enlarged. And that uh, didn't seem to be working because every time God would come up, he's had reasons to doubt. How could I have a child at this age? And so God says, look, this is what we're going to do. No longer going to be Abram. You're not going to be Abraham. So every time you go out, you're going to say, I am a father of many nations. That's his name, new name. I am a father of many nations. And we saw that after that change was done, three months later, God says, I'm going to come to you in the time of, of life, time for a baby, and you're going to have a, have a baby. Three months it took, 24 years before that. And three months now it was only going to take. If you can get your conversation right, if you get your talking right, you can change your life. But you've got to get your thinking right on the inside. 
You've got to be looking at stuff that you see, and instead of seeing the problem, you've got to begin to see the answer. You've got to begin to think the answer. You've got to begin to speak the answer. You've got to take those things that are in your life that are not working as well. Take your job. My job is not going as well. I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. I don't like my coworkers. I don't like my pay. Whatever it is, you begin to speak to that job. Job, you're going to line up. You're going to become like this. And you speak to that job. Your body's not doing some things that you want it to do. You speak to that body. Body, this is what you're going to do. You don't like some things that you see in your family, in your sons or your daughters. So you speak to them. And you speak God's blessings on them. And you pronounce what it is that you're going to see. <clears throat> Instead of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm a failure, I'm no good, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. God has called me to be the head and not the tail. God has called me to succeed and not to fail. And you begin to proclaim these things over, your, over yourself. You begin to give something for God to use. And you begin to speak these things. And say this. But here it is. God comes to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now he comes to him in the, in the wine press where he is threshing the, the wheat. Now, if you've never been in this process before, when you do this particular process with the wheat, throw it up in the air, you need to be out in the wind. When you're out in the wind, what happens is you throw it up in the air and the wind takes away the, the light stuff and the heavy stuff falls down. And you keep doing it, you keep doing it, the light stuff that you don't want blows away and the heavy stuff that you want falls down. He's in a wine press. How much wind is in a wine press? Not a whole lot, but you see, he's afraid of the Midianites. So he's doing it here so they don't see what it is that he's doing and come and take the food. So it's a harder way to do it. So he obviously doesn't see himself as very mighty, but this is how God says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Now, haven't you said this before? If the Lord really wants me to be healed, why am I still having this? If the Lord really wants me to be blessed, why is my job still this way? If the Lord really wants, and you fill in the blank, why is this? Haven't we said that? Haven't we always put, well, God, if this is really what you want, why is this going on? As if it's all up to God. Now that we opened up this chapter, we had the boards from the prophet. And the prophet said, the reason for this is because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. God hasn't forsaken them at all. They haven't, they haven't obeyed. They haven't done what the voice of the Lord said to do. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us. Now, you've probably said some things like this. Well, God, if you do love me, well, God, if you do care for me, well, God, if you really want this to change in my life, and we put it off on God. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus was out and about, and somebody came up to him, and they said to him, Master, if you will, you can make me whole. If you will, you can make me whole. Like he's putting it up on, on, on Jesus. And Jesus put it back on him. All things are possible to him who believes. It's up to you. How much can you believe? See, too much, too often we're throwing things back on God. It's up to God. It's not up to God. It's up to us. God has said, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I can do. This is what I will do. Now, what are you going to do about it? And we go out there and we face this thing that we're facing and we say, well, I can't get there. Well, I can't get that done. Well, this isn't going to work. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? 
Now, I'm sure you never prayed, made a prayer like this. If the Lord is with us, why has my job gone away? If the Lord is with us, why has my pay not increased? If the Lord is with us, why did this bill happen? We always like to look at circumstances and say, well, if the Lord is with me, all my circumstances are basically going to be just fine. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I tell you what, folks, you've got to be careful about conclusions. Because you, the world is showing you all kinds of things about your God. Trying to, anyway. And it's not necessarily the truth. Just because you see a report does not mean that report is right. Remember last week we looked at um, the, uh, the, the coat that was brought back, Joseph's coat, and the sons presented it to the dad. And he said, is this your son's coat? And they had taken the coat and they ripped it up and they put some blood on it. And uh, dad said, yeah, that's him. Obviously, he was torn up by beasts and he's dead. That's his conclusion. But that's not what was right. But that's his conclusion. It produced great sadness in him for many years. Just because you see a report does not mean that that report is right. Or that the conclusion you're, you're getting from it is correct. Be careful about conclusions. You can go before God and say, God, here's what's, here's what's going on. Remember the 12 spies that were sent out into Israel? And they came on back and they gave the report. The land is indeed good. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, all kinds of stuff's going on there. Uh, but there's giants in the land. And then they came to some conclusions. Well, the giants, they saw us as grasshoppers. We saw us as grasshoppers. They never asked them. They came to their own conclusions. Just because a doctor gives you a report, just because your boss gives you a report, just because the economy is giving you a report does not mean that conclusion is true for you. Don't hang on to that conclusion. Be speaking differently. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Gideon hasn't bought into this part of it yet. But God's still speaking like it's true. Go in this might of yours. Sound like Abraham? Abraham, father of many nations. Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. Abraham, in you many nations will come. And what's Abraham see? I have no kids. So God speaks to him and says, You're a man, a mighty man of valor. And he says, I got nothing. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Have I not sent you? Have I? God is saying, I have sent you. If God has sent you, are you not going in his name with his strength and his resources? That's what you just think of it now. If you're in the United States and the president of the United States calls you up on the phone and says, I need to send you into this country. Do you say to him, well, I'll be happy to do that for you, but let me look up first and see how much the plane ticket will be. I'll make sure I can afford it. No, because if the president of the United States is calling you up and saying, I'm sending you into this country to do a certain thing, then who's paying for it? He is. He's paying for it. You have the resources 
of the United States now at your disposal. And when you get over there and you need something, you don't have to try and figure it out. What do you do? Make a call. Hey, I need this, I need this, and I need this. Or get it on a plane or they'll do whatever they have to do. Get it right there to you. If God is saying, I am sending you to do this, is he not also sending the power, sending the supply, sending the whatever it is that you need? Then when we talk to God and say, God, I know you sent me on this mission. But, um, I, I just don't have what it takes. I don't have enough money. Uh, my health is kind of poor. I, I can't stand that long. I can't work that hard. and I, I just don't have the ability to do all that. But if God says, I have sent you, hasn't he already figured all that out? So, Well, God, if you're sending me, that means I can do it. If you are sending me, then I can get out there and to do that. And you can, you can do it. That's what you've got to stay there and do. God is sending you. That's what he said here. Have I not sent you? But I love how he started this off. Go in this might of yours. Go in this might of yours. He didn't say go in my might. He said go in his might. I've given you this. This is yours. I've, it's yours. Now go. Go in this might of yours. You can do it. Folks, too often we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing people of weakness. We're seeing people of frailty. We're seeing people who are inadequate. And God doesn't see that. So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So again, he has to say, I'm going to be with you. Because he's looking at, look, not only am I a weak guy, I come from a weak family. And I'm in a weak clan. And I'm in a weak tribe. I mean, Manasseh, there's not a big, big thing about Manasseh. There's not a whole lot ever came really strong out of there. And, well, God, you know, it's just, yeah, the wrong person here. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Now think about this. The Lord has shown up physically and has said many nice things about you. I mean, are these not nice things? And then he says to them, If I have found favor in your sight. Really? Is that a question? How many people has God shown up to? How many people has he said this to? You're it. Does that not seem like he has had favor? Now, we'll do this too. We'll go before God. God, I just don't think you like me. I mean, but if I have found any favor, please do this. Please do this for me. How many times have you ever, don't raise your hands on this one. Just inside hands. How many of you ever thought, God doesn't like me? I mean, if God really liked me, this one, this would happen and this would be different and, and so forth. And yet, if I asked you also, how many people are here that God has healed? We could raise our hands and say, yeah, God has I had this and I got healed. How many people has God blessed? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got this and this and God did this and this and yeah, I've been blessed. How many people are here that God has spoken to and said something through his word in the, in the nighttime in a dream uh, in your spirit? You heard from God. God spoke some things to you and talked directly to you about your situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. God has spoken to me. But you don't think God likes you. But he's healed you. 
He set you free. He's ministered to you on your job, and he's spoken to you. And what do you say? Well, I don't know if I don't know if God really likes me. That's where Gideon is. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. <laughs> Aren't we always saying stuff like that? Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread, and an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in the pot, brought them out to him under the terebinth tree, and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. We're not just talking about an angel. He said the angel of the Lord. That is the Lord Jesus Christ manifest in the Old Testament. If you doubt that, look up angel of the Lord. Find out all the places he was at. He's the only angel who receives worship. All the rest of them say, don't worship me. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abirzerites. So here you got this situation. God has come to him and spoke all these nice things about him, gave him this, this uh, commission, told him what he was going to do, and said, you're going to go out, and I'm going to be with you. I will be with you to get this thing done. And he says, show me a sign. So they make up this big, uh, big thing, put it on a rock, and he just touches it with his staff, and fire comes out of the rock. Fire comes out. Rocks don't burn like that. that. Fire does not come out of rocks like that. But fire came out of the rock and consumed the offering. And then he said, oh, this was the angel of the Lord. Now, if that happens to you, if the angel of the Lord showed up, said all these nice things to you, and then did this sign with this offering and the fire coming out of the rock, how many of you are ready to do, what, do whatever God said to do? I mean, we're ready to go. Let's go. Now, it came to pass that same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and the second bull of seven years old. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bowl and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now he does not do this by night so that no one knows it is him. If you want someone to, or you want people to never know it is you, do not take ten other people. If you want no one else to know what you're doing except for you, no one else can go but you. But he didn't do that. He took ten other people. So he's not trying to keep this a secret. He just doesn't want them to come and stop him in the middle. He's afraid of them. I'll put this in your outline for you. It is best not to fear, but it's second best to fear and still do it. So it's best to do what God says. And how many times does Jesus say, don't be afraid? You hear that a lot of times. Don't be afraid. All right. The second best thing is, if you are afraid, to still do it. That's the, best, that's the second best right there. Don't let fear stop you from doing what God said to do. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down. And the one image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. 
So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, Baal, plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So he was afraid of his father's household, possibly even his father, but his father rises up and defends him and said, if Baal is really God, let him defend him. Now, he didn't go into the city and tear down theirs. He tore down what was in his own families. Tore down that Baal. God said to do it. God said, go tear down that Baal. And do this. Make this sacrifice. And so he did it. He was afraid, but he did it. Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abyssalites gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Never start out a question this way. If you, speaking of God, will save Israel by my hand. Has not God said he would do it? If God said he would do it, don't ever say if. Now, see, we do that sometimes even today. How many times in his word has he promised that I will heal you? And we'll say to God, if you will heal me. How many times have we, the word of God says, I will fill you? And we'll say, if you will fill me. How many times has the word of God said, I will deliver you? And we'll say, if you will deliver me. Don't put an if in front of something God has said he would do. That's what he does here. Set you up for a bad, bad situation. So he puts the fleece of wool out in the threshing floor. We've talked about this one before. This is not the way to go about. God does not tell you to lay fleeces before him. Verse 38. It was so when he rose early in the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece in a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test thy prey just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let, it, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, because of this, these verses, people have a lot of times gone out and put fleeces before God. Well, God, if this is you, then let this happen. And they lay out whatever the conditions are. Don't ever do that. Be led by your spirit. Now, if you know the story here, you know that these fleeces didn't do anything to convince him that this is what God wanted him to do. You see, he's got a wrong thinking. And because he has the wrong thinking, yes, he keeps talking about wrong things. Out of his mouth comes the wrong thing. If you will use me. If you will deliver Israel by my hand. If you will. Always the if you wills. Because his thinking is wrong. Because his thinking is wrong, his conversation is wrong. Because his conversation is wrong, it's messing up what God wants to do. He's not giving God the right pieces. We're giving God Lincoln Logs and asking him to build Lego projects. You can't do that. Lincoln Logs might be easier to supply for us. But if you want that Lego project, you've got to bring out Legos. What is it that you're seeing God wants to do in your life? Give God 
the right kind of pieces for it. Change your thinking. Change your conversation. Don't talk about your situation in a negative way. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. It doesn't matter how much it doesn't seem to be measuring up. You keep going the way the Word of God said. If that sickness and disease you got prayed for, that sickness and disease left, and then all of a sudden you feel a little twinge. You feel something going on in your body. You speak to it. Don't go back to God and say, God, oh God, oh I need you to do a complete work. Oh God, please deliver me from this. If you will, with all the things we throw out there, don't be doing it. Speak to that thing and tell that thing, no, I have been delivered from sickness and disease. I have been delivered from this condition. God has healed me. And you speak to that thing and you tell it to get right. And he will, he will do it. He will get it right. But just because God has given you something good does not mean that the enemy does not want to come and to steal it. The enemy wants to come and steal it. Have you ever watched those things they do on Facebook? They put the little uh, pictures up there, video cameras at the doors, people coming and stealing UPS and FedEx packages. Coming up and they steal it. I saw one guy, he did one little trap for one of them. So he set up the, the thing there and this person came on up and <laughs> they launched this. I forget what the trap was, but scared them and they ran, ran away. They don't know what's in the package. They just figure it's good. They're going to come over and get it. The devil may not know what's in the package, but he knows it's good. He doesn't want you to have it. So he's going to try and steal it. It's not that he can use it, but he's going to try and steal it from you. He doesn't want you to have good things. Healing is a good thing. Deliverance from whatever it is that you need to be delivered from, it's a good thing. Don't let the enemy steal it from you. But that's how he's going to do God gave Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden and the devil came to steal it from them. He gave them wrong thoughts. He got them to say the wrong thing out of their mouth. And before long, he had the garden. Don't let the enemy do this to you. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of the, them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midians into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now think about this. The Midianites are so numerous that they, 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 they call them sand of the sea. They're just all over the they're just Millions, just all over, just people. And he's got a handful of folks. And God says, it's too many. It's too many. Too often, this is how it is. God looks at our situation and says, too much. We look at our situation and we say, too little. God's looking at the same situation. He says, that's too much. I'm looking at the same situation and said, I need more. God's looking at that same thing and said, that's too much. You need to get rid of some of that. We're looking at the same situation. We're saying, I need more. Who's right? Well, right now, we're in church. It's easy to say who's right. But when you're at home, (laughs) it's not quite so easy, is it? Verse 3, Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. 22,000 people said they were fearful. Now, if you had 32,000 people in a group and you're going to go up against a mass multitude of people, how many of you would be afraid? 
So 10,000 people said, I'm not afraid. When we get to heaven, I'd like to interview some of those people. Why were you not afraid? Did you have a death wish? Did you just decide that dying is better than living? So I'm not afraid. Let's just go and be like a Klingon. Today is a good day to die. If you watch Star Trek, you know what that means. If you don't, you have no idea. 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. And God looked at the 10,000. I mean, that's almost a third of what he had. But the Lord said to Gideon, "Uh, No, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And if remember I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps. You shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lap putting their hands in their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. 10,000 people coming down to the river. God says, Gideon, I'm going to tell you which ones to tell you to go home. These are 10,000 people who are not afraid. Who are not going to leave this battle because of fear. And he comes on down and says, oh, everybody down here at the river, get a drink. As they all come down and get a drink, who tells them to go home? Does Gideon just walk through? and t- You can go home. You can stay. You can go home. You can stay. You can go home. Does he just get up there and say, all you guys who got down and lapped like dogs, go home. I don't know how he does it, but somehow he cuts this crowd of 10,000 down to 300 simply because God said. Now, the first group, 22,000, how hard was it to send 22,000 people home who were afraid? It's not hard. How hard is it to send 9,700 people home who are not afraid? I think that's going to be a little bit harder. Some of those people may not want to go. But he did that because God said, this is what I want you to do. And the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now think about this. Is there a purpose for going through this story? Gideon is a person who doesn't think a whole lot of himself, sees himself as a failure, sees himself as in a difficult situation, doesn't see that God really likes them a whole lot. This is his thinking. These are the things that are going over in his mind. Out of his mouth come words like this. And then God says, send 22,000 home. Send 9,700 more home. You've got 300 people. And God says, this is what you got. I'm going to deliver with just these three. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And, they all, and he sent away all the rest of the Israel, every man to his tent, and retained three, those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on the same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts, the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. How many does Gideon have? 300. We can't even number their camels. And when Gideon had come, 
there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Now think about this. Here's the camp of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east. They are all over. Huge area. We can't even number their camels, let alone the people that are there. That's going to be a lot of real estate. And he happens to come down to the one spot where the guy has a dream. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise. Now, see, it's hard for me to read. I have had a dream without hearing the breakout of music in the bar scene with uh, Tangled. Anybody ever seen that? Never seen that? All right, you have to go home and watch that one. Got this old bar scene over there, and all these big burly men are singing this song, I Have a Dream. Kind of funny song. Well, you know, I don't get to see it because I have a granddaughter. If you don't have a granddaughter, you might have got to see it. I have had a dream. Can you imagine, guys, can you imagine guys doing this? This is why I bring up that movie. Because here you got this big burly men in the bar singing these songs about their dream. You know, one guy wants to be a pianist in a concert hall and he only has one hand. And they're singing these songs about it. Guys don't do that. When was the last time, guys, that you were around with a bunch of other guys and you broke out in song about your dreams? It doesn't happen. When was the last time that you showed up at work and said to a guy, hey, I had a dream last night? When was the last time you did that? These are guys. Now, ladies, ladies might get together and say, hey, I had a dream last night. Ladies might do that. When was the last time, guys, when was the last time another guy came up to you and said, I had a dream? Can you think of it? It doesn't happen very often, does it? In fact, with guys, it happens very little. But God tells him to go down to a camp of this massive amount of people and he comes to the one spot where one guy had a dream and happens to tell his friend about it. I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to what? A tent it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed how many tents collapsed one tent one tent in the whole camp of midian collapsed this guy said i had a dream here's the camp of midian how many tents are in the camp of midian there will be a lot probably multiple thousands of tents because you have how many people? They come into this tent. They come to this, this tent. Here's this guy telling the dream. A loaf of barley bread came rolling on down the hill, struck a tent, and the tent fell down. Now, what's that tell you? It tells you a tent fell down. Right? We're not saying that all the tents fell down. We're saying that what? One tent. One tent fell down. One. That's his dream. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, the man of, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. 
And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Now, would you come to that conclusion? A barley loaf of barley bread comes tumbling into the camp, hits one tent, and the one tent collapses. What happens to people in a tent when the tent collapses? They climb out. I have been in this place. We used to go to this camp and they had tents for us to stay in a camp. Not cabins. We had tents. There was ground, real earth underneath you. And then you had the tent. And in that tent, I believe it held something like eight, maybe ten people. It was a good sized tent. And one of the things that we would do, because we're at camp, is that we would go up to other people's tents and sabotage them. And we would take it. Now, there's not one, one hold. There's a lot of holds. So you have to get a lot of guys. And we would pull up those things and the tent would collapse on the eight or ten guys that were in there. We thought this was fun. So um, nobody died. I can speak of authority that when a tent collapses, people do not die. They just crawl out and yell at you for taking their tent down. That's about all that happened to, with that. The tent collapses. One tent out of all of them. And the guy says... Well, this is nothing more than Gideon. How does he know Gideon? How does he know Gideon? This is one guy, according to Gideon, Gideon is the least of his family, the least of his clan. He's nobody. How does this guy know who he is? I think that would take me back. Could you imagine going down to a group of strangers and they say, oh, this must mean they put your name in it. They put your name there. You say, how do they know me? How do they know me? How do they know that God has delivered them into my hand? How do they know? This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. They even know his dad. A man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. But the whole camp didn't fall. It was just one tent. So if I'm Gideon and I am so prone to think this way, I could hear this dream, hear this interpretation and say, this guy is wrong. The dream that God gave him says, I take out one tent. One tent. There's a whole lot of tents here. But it produced faith in him. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation. Now look at this. This is, this is odd. This is not something that most of us would do. When he heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, then he worshipped. How do you worship? How many of you make noise when you worship? So you are down in the enemy's camp, close enough that you can hear them relaying this dream and its interpretation back and forth, and you worship. Isn't that kind of odd? How many of you would return to the camp and then worship? I'm in that group. I'm going to return to the camp and then I'm going to worship. But he gets his worship on here. And he starts worshiping. And then he returns to the camp. So this obviously produced some boldness in him. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. So God had a way. He said, If you're afraid, go on down. Apparently he was afraid. So he went on down. 
Now, weren't the other signs more spectacular? Wasn't it more spectacular to have the fleece dry and the fleece wet? Wasn't that more spectacular? Wasn't it more spectacular when the fire came up from the rock? But this is the one that ministered to him. Don't make up fleeces to put before God. Listen to the words of God and do what he says to do. It will produce more assurance in your life than anything you can come up with. That's a lesson people should take from Gideon, not the idea of putting a fleece out before God. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. All right, we, you're still too big. <laughs> We're going to divide you up. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said, said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp and the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hand. Then the three companies blew the, the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Mohala, and Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites, then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan, and they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Orab and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. What a victory. So here they are. We're ready to go into battle. And Gideon says, I want you to take the, the fire, the torch, and put it in one hand. I want you to take the trumpet and put it in the other hand. Where's your sword? He doesn't mention the sword. With the trumpet, now you got this picture. You're supposed to break the picture, hold the torch, blow the trumpet. But where's the sword? So you got 300 men to buy into this plan to attack the Midianites without a sword in their hand. Not saying they don't have a sword. I'm saying the sword's not in their hand. And God brings about this victory. Can you see the boldness that has come upon Gideon? It's changed him because he obeyed what God has said. You are facing things in life and your thinking hasn't changed. Your conversation hasn't changed. You have become emptied of the thing that you didn't want, but you haven't filled it with something else. And so what happens is we keep speaking the same way. We keep talking the same way. I keep talking in a way that I expect that pain to come back. I keep talking in a way that I expect that weight to come back. I keep talking in a way that I, I think that how people deal with me, that's all going to come back. I keep talking in a way that I think that poverty that I got out of is coming back upon me. I keep speaking that way. My expectation is there. You've got to take that. You've got to empty all that out. And you've got to put in its place the thinking of the Word of God. And this is what Gideon did. Now, Gideon made his way into the uh, book of faith. 
the little chapter of faith that we got on there, talks about, and all he did, all he did, I've told you this before, but I always like to repeat this. All Gideon did was get in faith for one day. That's it. He's in faith for one day. And he made it into the book of the Hall of Fame of Faith. For one day. What can you do if you get in faith for one day? <laughs> we can do some good things. Get yourself in that place. Now, before we go, one more story I want to take a look at. Not going to cover all the, the ins and outs about the story. Just uh, take a look at it from perspective of Gideon. Mark five twenty five. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And, said to, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now look at this woman. She had this condition for how long? Twelve years. That's a long time. She needs that condition to be changed. She needs it to go out. She has gone to many physicians. The Word of God said many physicians and said that they had done many things to her. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. So she would try these things, and the end result was just like Jesus said. The end result was worse than the first. Whatever it was that they were doing, her end result was worse. And then she heard about Jesus. Now, how many physicians had she seen? Many. And you've got to put yourself in, these, in the positions of these people in the Word of God. Put yourself in the woman's position. You see that first physician and you say, this physician has a way of taking care of my condition. And you talk about it to your friends. You talk about it to your relatives. And we're going to go. We're going to get this thing done. And it doesn't work. And then you can find another one. And then another one. If you have relatives and you have sought for help from doctors, and let's just say you went to 10 different doctors, and after 10 different doctors, it's still the same way. What are your relatives going to say when you find number 11? What do you think they're going to say? Y'all know. Do you really want to? Do you really want to trust this again? Do you really want to go all out? Now it also said that she had spent all she had, spent all she. She was invested in this. She was putting money out on this thing. So every time she found another doctor, there was a fee, and she'd pay the fee, and she wasn't any better. So her finances are dwindling down. They're getting less. And now she's got no money left. So she comes and she hears about Jesus. If she hears about Jesus, what do you think she's doing? Talking about Jesus. I heard about Jesus. I heard people came up and touched his clothes and got healed. I'm going to go and find Jesus. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. Because I know if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Hey, sister, we've heard this before. You were convinced that other doctor way over there in Samaria. You were convinced he was going to do it. Then you were convinced that that guy over in Syria, you thought he was going to do it. And you went on a long trip out to Syria. You stayed there for a couple of weeks. That was expensive. 
and you came back and you were worse. And then you went over to that guy over in Galilee. And then, after that, you went down to that guy. He was over by Jerusalem. You thought, well, he's a big practice, big name. This will certainly work. And that didn't work. And you spent more money. And you're going to go and find this Jesus because someone has said... She, she heard. She heard about Jesus. We have got to get to that point where we're hearing what it is that Jesus is saying and it's causing a change. Gideon first saw the angel of the Lord. He saw the fire come up from the rock. But he felt in himself that I am nothing. I am no one and I am good for, some, for nothing. He saw this, but he felt this. And he can never get past it. But when... When Jesus, or the, when the angel of the Lord came to him, God spoke to him and said, Look, if you still are afraid, go down and hear what they have to say in the camp. And he went down and he heard. And that produced some great, great stuff in him. What you feel and what you see is not the main thing that's going to change you. The thing that's going to change you is what you hear is what you hear. When she heard about Jesus, she touched the hem of his garment and instantly, immediately, the fountain of her blood dried up and she knew she was healed in her body. Knew it. Because she said, I've got to act on this. Now she had faith. From the moment she heard about Jesus, she had faith in it. Just because you have faith does not mean you will be healed. Just because you are not healed does not mean you are, do not have faith. Get that thinking out of your head. This woman had faith when she heard about Jesus. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you will be healed. And just because you're not healed doesn't mean you don't have faith. You've got to take that faith and direct it to an action. Because until faith has an action... It is useless. That faith did not change the woman with the issue of blood. Until she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. That's her faith. And then she got to that place and she touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed. So what is it that's going on in your body? What is it going on in your life? What is it that's going on in your job? Your neighborhood? Your family? What is it that's going on that you need to see a change for? You need to hear the words that Jesus says. You need to hear the words of the Word of God. You need to hear the words that He speaks to your spirit. And when He says those things, you need to have faith. That's what God said. If God said, I will be with you, I will use you to deliver Israel. If He says that, then I need to have faith and confidence that, and I need to get out there and do some action. Because even though God says, I will use you, I will deliver Israel through you until he got his men to the, to the battlefield and told them what to do, there was no deliverance. Even though when he heard what those men said in the dream, it produced faith inside of him, there was still no deliverance. Not until he put the thing in action. You can have all the faith in the world and no action and you will not be healed, you will not be set free, you will not be changed. But you take what action that faith is pointing to and you do it. 
there will be a change. Your situation will change. Now your conversation needs to change about that as well. You need to fill your house with conversation. By house, I mean we're going back to Matthew. They found the house what? Empty, swept, and put in order. You've got to fill it with something. Just because you're there does not mean it's filled. You've got to fill it with something. Fill it with words. Speak words out of your mouth. Whatever it is you're trying to change, you should wake up in the morning speaking those words. You should go to bed at night speaking those words. You should think, go around during the day thinking on those words, meditating on those words. The Word of God says what kind of things should you meditate on? Fear, anxiety, and worry? No, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, and so forth. He gives a list. Those things, that's the things you're going to think about. Think on those things. Think on, don't think on thoughts of death. Don't think on thoughts of unsuccess, being unsuccessful, of failure. Don't be thinking about those things. Think about success. Think about what God has said and change your situations. Speak life over those things that seem to be dying. Speak health to your body. Speak change to whatever it is in your body that you need to be changed. And fill that house with something. Because if you don't, if they come and find it empty, what are they going to do? How many times have we heard people got prayed for for a back pain, got prayed for for some kind of discomfort, something that was going on in their body, and a week, two weeks, three weeks later, oh, it's back. Oh, and it's worse than it was before. Because they didn't fill the house with anything different. They still thought the same way. They still talked the same way. You can't do that. You've got to change it. Gideon got some things changed in his life. He didn't keep it going for very long, but he did change it for a little while. You can change what's going on in your life. You can change the people that are around you. You can change your job. You can change your finances. You can change your health. You can change all kinds. Whatever it is that God gives you the vision for, whatever it is that God has said, here's a promise for you in the Word, you can change it. But you've got to think and you've got to speak those kind of things. You've got to fill the house with that sort of stuff. Fill it. Constantly be filled with those kind of things. Don't be thinking other things. Think on that. If you've got pain in your body, don't be going around saying, oh, it hurts so bad. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, no. Can't be doing that. If you do that, you're going to keep on having the pain in the body. Even though you have faith to be healed. You have not given your faith anything to work on. I share stories with you of things that I've worked through because I've had some long-standing things to get through. I share them with you so that you know just because I teach this stuff doesn't mean it just falls into place for me. I've had to do things. The main thing was for, for running. You know, many years ago, I look back on some of my notes just from, from, from some runs. You know, Facebook is good for that. I don't put too much on Facebook, not in the general, more of the forums for, for runners, but every once in a while I put up something. I saw something I put up three years ago. And I put in there, you know, I was icing the knee and I was looking at these things. Well, you know, a number of years ago, I, I had to do that. I wasn't able to run for many years ago. I wasn't able to run at all. Loved it. I couldn't run. And there were many times I had to go out. I was going out and I was running. I wasn't running far. I was only running like four or five miles at a time. But I would go out there and I'd run the whole time I'm running it. Whole time. Limping. I mean, if people saw me, I, know I was running through the neighborhood. People saw me. They're like, why is he doing that? And the whole time I'm, I'm running, I'm speaking to it. You are not going to be this way. You are healed. I am healed. I am a runner. I am going to run because I want to run. 
And I kept speaking to that, speaking to that. It was months speaking to that, speaking to that. And it got better, and it got better. And now I'm doing distances that, that I'm almost happy with. I still want more. But you see, it doesn't, doesn't happen just because you want it to. You don't sit there, wait for God to do the thing. You get out there and you start speaking to it. And you start talking to it. You fill the house with the good things that you want. Just because you're in the house, it's not filled. You've got to fill the house. So you start meditating on things. That which one do you want to do? If you want to get thinner, what do you do? You fill the house with thin thoughts. You speak to food. I am not eating more than I need. You talk to God. God, what kind of things do I need to do to get this done? Because I did that with God. What kind of things do I need to do to be able to run more, to be able to do more? He'd tell me things. And I would put those things in. And I would make those. Some of them didn't even seem like they, they felt right. I loved Ethel's story. I don't know if she told that on a Wednesday. She told her, Ethel told the story that she was having trouble with her, with her knee. And God told her to eat oranges. Did she tell that story here on Sunday? Told her to eat oranges. All right. Don't tell her I told you then. <laughs> and what, do you, what do oranges have to do with it? I don't know. But the knee, the knee pain stopped. Glory to God. Listen to God. God will tell you to do stuff. And it will be just like uh, Naaman. Why should I go out and dip in that river? That river is disgusting. That river is ugly. I don't want to be out there in that river. Ew. No, I'm gonna, there's much better rivers out there. No matter what God tells you to do, do it. If you're praying for a son or a daughter to overcome certain things, whatever God tells you to do, do it. Do it. You're bringing about a change. God is telling you what to fill the house up with. Add this. Bring this in. Put this in here. He's telling you what to fill the house up with. How many bad reports have you heard? How many bad reports has this lady heard? How many times has she heard a bad report? She saw many physicians. What did they all say to her? I'm sorry, it didn't work. I'm sorry. She's getting bad reports, right? Constantly getting bad reports. How many hopes did she have that have been dashed? How many hopes have you had that have been dashed? If she got over it, you can get over it. Because when she heard about Jesus, see, it's not too late to turn your situation around. You can do it. Put this in your outline for you. We are all governed in our actions by if-then statements. This is only a problem if the ifs is on God's part and the then is on my part. It's never supposed to be that way. The if is always on your part. The then is on God's part. Don't ever flip it. Gideon flipped it. Gideon flipped it. If you think this way, God, then why is this going on? What did the woman do? If I just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. She, she flipped it around. Don't ever put the if on God's part. The if is always on our part. The then is always on God's part. Would the disciples do that one time in the boat? If you care about us, then you'll do something. Don't put the if on God's part. The if is on my part. If you don't know what the if is for your part, get into the Word of God and find out what that if is. Fill your house with that. If I do this, then God is going to do this. I will be set free. This thing will no longer be a condition that will affect me. Would you all stand up? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. You are a good God. You love us. You care for us. The enemy is always trying to tell us something different. Something contrary to that. 
But Father, we don't have to buy into what he is saying. We don't have to listen to what he is saying. We're going to put our attention on the things of God. The if is on our part, not on God's. The then is on God's part. Help us, Father. In all the situations that we're trying to bring change to, situations that have been going on in a certain way for a long time, we want to see a change come in, a lasting change. Show us, Father, what to fill the house up with. Show us what kind of things to be saying out of our mouth, what kind of things to be thinking on in our heads. When you came to Gideon, you put Gideon, you put inside Gideon all kinds of things for him to think on, all kinds of things for him to say. And you'll do the same for us. It is so important that we think the right thoughts and that we say the right words because those words we have are power. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Every head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I have been thinking wrong thoughts and I have been saying wrong words. I've been believing for certain things to change, but I've been thinking and saying things wrong. If you know that about your situation today, raise your hand. Father, you see these hands that are raised? I thank you, Father, that you'll help them as they empty out the things that are in the house that shouldn't be there. As they fill up the things in the house that should be. You will help them. Just as you helped Gideon. Just as you helped Abraham and others in the Word of God to get rid of the doubt and unbelief and the thinking that was holding them back. And you opened up their eyes to see. And their situations, they changed. And our situation will change as well. We give you the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Any praise reports get turned in back there? Nothing back there yet? All right. Uh, one of the groups of people that weren't here, Bobby and Candy were not here. Bobby was not feeling well today. Checking on them and be praying for them. Today after the service, 1 o'clock, we're going to be taking on the uh, book of Second Thessalonians. Have you ever asked the question, why, does some, why do some people go through the tribulation? Why is it that some people go through this? Why is it that God puts these kind of things, these horrors in the tribulation on people? Doesn't God love people? Well, somebody must have asked that question to Paul because Paul answered it in Second Thessalonians. He tells you why people go through the tribulation. We already went over why you are not. He's very clear on it. As Christians, the church cannot go through the tribulation. It's not because God doesn't want to uh, have you guys go through tough times. That is not at all. He gave us all the reasons for it. And he says it is impossible for you to go through. But why is it possible for them to go through? What is it? And the Word of God is real clear about it and will help you as you minister to the people that are around you here. They have one ingredient that's keeping them from being able to do this. And we're going to show you what that is here today. Among us, some other things, as we, uh, I think we finish Second Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, today. That will be, be going on. And then Wednesday, of course, will be in the series with uh, Philippians. That will be, be happening. Um, we all wanted to go over with you some, some things about our upcoming uh, Resurrection Sunday activities.
Alyssa's going to come up and do that. My wife had something to bring up uh, for that as well before we all get out of here. If you want to take a seat, go ahead. So we officially have a date for our egg hunt clothing drive. Woohoo! That's exciting. I'm excited. Um, it will be April 9th. That is a Sunday. Don't get scared. <laughs> um, we've been just keeping our eye on the other like local things like we've been saying, and everything is happening Saturday, 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 Saturday. So in order to not have that extra competition and to hopefully make it easier and, and, and um, take some of the burden off of you guys of being here all weekend, we're just going to have one big long Saturday par- or Sunday party April 9th. Um, I am in contact with some of our vendors and some people that will be coming out. We do have registration open today. It has opened. Um, everyone that is on Facebook that has liked the church uh, Facebook page, you have gotten an invite for the event page. That is what you guys can share with people. You can put that you know, on your personal pages. Your friends can see it. Um, so share, 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 share. The more shares you get, the more views it has. And the more, you know, we're getting the word out for that. If you have not volunteered, you want to spend some time um, and, and give some time for that day or in preparation for that day, there are still areas that we need some extra hands for. Let me know, and I'll let you know kind of what we're still looking at, what we're looking for. Um, we will be opening up registration this week for the Easter egg baskets or Easter Easter baskets um, for those that might still want to register for their children for them. So, again, share those social media posts that you see going out. That'll help us spread the word on that. And uh, that's that's the big stuff. So April 9th, that is the official day, Easter egg hunt and clothing drive. Next Sunday is the first Sunday. If you all want to bring in, you know, stuff to donate, bring it in. Clothes, shoes, um, purses, wallets, belts, jewelry, whatever is attire that is in good condition that you're not using anymore, bring it in. And that'll be towards donations that anybody and everybody can come and, and grab when they need them. So that's all. Okay, tag team here. Um, I did want to bring your attention. I know Ethel brought this up this morning, but I told you guys I'd keep you aware of where we're at with the building fund. It's been three weeks, and we were just about $1,200 so far. So um, we still have a long ways to go, but we're going to get there. Amen? Who's excited? (laughs) I'm excited. Um, This morning, um, I wanted to just remind everybody, we have... Our conference coming up, our prayer conference, May 5th, 6th, and 7th with Gina and Kelly Linnis. How many of you got on their website or, or looked them up to see who they are or what they're about? Haven't had a chance to do that yet? I put one of these flyers, a smaller size, in your bulletins today. Okay, this is the first um, real announcement that we have of it. It's Friday night, Saturday um, we have a continental breakfast in the morning. Then we have the conference. Gina will be ministering, I think, in the first part. Then we're going to have lunch, and then Kelly will minister in the afternoon. Um, <clears throat> and then Sunday morning they'll be here ministering. They both have, um, like I told you, they're from Lynn and Matt Hammond ministry. Gina served under uh, both uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland doing their um, prayer conferences, leading their prayer schools, um, doing seminars and whatnot. So they are well-versed in the area of prayer, and I am really super excited about this. Invite your friends. Please, please, please invite your friends to come. Um, What we're going to do is starting next week, tickets will be made available. 
that price, it's $20 beforehand. It helps to cover the costs of the meals and, the, and, and everything that we have to do for this. So it's really not a, a, a huge expense, but it's $20 ahead of time, $25 at the door. Um, with that, on the back of your ticket, this will be gone over again next week, but I just want you to be prepared. On the back of your ticket, I'm going to ask you to put your name, address, phone number, email, all that information, and any guests that you're bringing. Each guest has to have their own ticket because there are going to be raffles. I'm giving away a lot of their um, their curriculum. Their curriculum. Their, uh, they have DVDs, CDs, um, what are those little thingies called? Um, flash drives. That's right. So we're going to be giving away some of those things at the conference. So I need your name and your address in order to put you into the bowl so that I can pull your name out. And you can win. <laughs> okay, so please invite people to come. It's going to be a wonderful time. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts about it, please contact me. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be done. Mandy's supposed to help me with that um, this week. Put a link up there.